Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You from HowStuffWorks.com. Welcome to the podcast. This is Kristen. And this is Molly. Molly, a few weeks ago, we sent out a request at the end of a podcast asking folks to send in their summer reading lists. Yeah, this was dangerous for us to do, Kristen. This was dangerous. Now I have too many books that I want to buy. I know. People sent in a lot of great lists, a lot of great books. And I got to say, Molly, that our listeners are a well-read group of people. It was very impressive. Yeah, I was impressive and, and kind of embarrassed about how few of those books I had read. Um, but all of this was to get a little anecdotal evidence to talk about our subject today, which is what is chiclet. Mm-hmm. And by chiclet, we're talking about the uh, maybe pink and fluorescent green and baby blue section of bookstores that have lots of pictures of uh, martini glasses and high heels and dresses and stuff. You know, the, the the women's kind of pop fiction. Yeah, it sort will. of got its start with Bridget Jones' Diary. Mm-hmm. And now it's, you know, a, a, kind of an umbrella term for any book that features a, a, a protagonist who's female in her 20s or 30s, um, probably has some job angst, mm-hmm. some, you know, problems with men. Shoe fetish. Shoe fetish, drinks martinis. It's sort of a Sex in the City, the book version, which started as a book, so. Right. And I gotta confess, um, right now I'm reading a pretty chicklity book. What is it? Uh, well, it's not, it's not, it's an old book. It's called The Dud Avocado. It came out in 1958. So I, I consider it Old school chiclet. It's pretty highbrow. Yeah, I, I ran across it um, last week. It's, it was written by Elaine Dundee, and it's about a girl who's 21. She is single, and she is off in Paris for two years. I mean, I, I don't know if you can get much more chiclet than that. And I got to say right now, it's really hilarious. Yeah. It's a lot of fun to read. Sounds good. Yeah, so Molly, what are you, to start this off, what are you reading now? Um, I'm going to get ready to start Infinite Jest. Ooh. By David Foster Wallace. Diving there. in for the for quite a summer read. Well, I don't know if you've heard about this online group, if an infinite summer.org. Mm-hmm. It's sort of like an internet reading group where everyone's going to discuss it together. And I feel like I need that motivation to get through the book. Yeah. And afterwards, you can use it as a doorstop. Yeah. Perfect. Or kill bugs with it. So let's talk about what our, we talked about what Chiclet was and what we we're reading. Um, we got in a lot of reading lists from female listeners. Mm-hmm. And some males. And some males, yes. So let's talk about, before we dive into this whole chiclet question, let's talk about what our listeners are reading this summer. Okay. Got some good stuff. Uh, I'll just throw out a few specific lists. Uh, we've got Mikey from San Diego. He's an 18-year-old male. He is reading, among other things, The Lord of the Rings Complete Trilogy. Um, also a doorstop. Also a doorstop, if you stack them all up. Uh, Stardust by Neil Gaiman. The Shack by William P. Young, Pride and Prejudice by Jane Austen, and one, this final one has shown up on a lot of lists, Pride and Prejudice and Zombies. Yeah, probably but, the most mentioned book of all these ring lists. Mm-hmm, came up in a lot of them, male and female, um, by Seth Graham Smith. So that's Mikey. He's got, and, and that's only three out of, oh, I don't know, 10 or 12 that he sent us. Uh, and then we have Jessica, who is reading Pride and Prejudice as well. She's reading What is the What?, the Lexus and the Olive Tree, The Botany of Desire, and Hyperion. So there's a nice range mm-hmm. some in there. Some fiction, some well, political science. Yeah. Uh, and then to round things off, 
Shelby. Okay. Friend Shelby is reading the Twilight series. Also an oft-mentioned entry. Yes. Uh, Percy Jackson, Percy Jackson and the Olympians, Gone with the Wind, Interview with a Vampire, Emma and the Historian. And I'm going to share one uh, that our listener Sarah is reading. Sarah's reading uh, The Ultimate Hitchhiker's Guide by Douglas Adams, uh, When You Were Engulfed in Flames by David Sedaris, who was also mentioned a few times, and My Stroke of Insight by Dr. Jill Bolt Taylor. And she told sort of a funny story about carrying that book around. Um, she was in, uh, she was carrying around, and an RN that she was working with told her that she was too young to be reading My Stroke of Insight. Um, and instead, she should be reading trashy romance novels. And so the book, uh, My Stroke of Insight, is about a woman who has a stroke mm-hmm. and sort of the effect it has on her brain. And so it's sort of a memoir slash science book. And when the nurse found out that she considered romance novels to be like mind rot, the nurse asked her uh, if she was single because she had a son that she wanted to set Sarah up with. Oh, nice. Intellectual reads make for a potential date material. Yeah. I mean, it just, it's, I think it sort of starts to illuminate our question of do women sort of in this age group read a lot of chiclet? Mm-hmm. And, um, according to the feedback we got from our listeners, we really don't. Um, you know, women, the women who responded do read a lot more fiction, but it's, you know, it's a lot of classics. It's a lot of sci-fi fantasy, uh, thrillers, but we're not reading that sort of stereotypical romance. Uh, find love and get a promotion all at the same time kind of books. Mm-hmm. And there's some controversy, I would say, around this whole idea of the chiclet genre. A lot of oh, times yeah. it's just dismissed routinely by literary critics who say, hey, maybe this is, this is an okay book for a chiclet, you know, but they, they usually just dismiss it as just useless drivel. Fluff. Fluff. Right. And I ran across a really interesting article by Rebecca Traster. On salon.com, who takes issue with just immediately dismissing chiclet drama as completely useless because she makes a good point that this criticism against, um, chiclet and fiction that is targeted towards females as going all the way back to the start of the English novel in the 18th century. Um, and this is to quote the, uh, the salon article when the English novel was born in the 18th century in part to feed a new readership of middle class women. Critics moaned about the intellect eroding effects of sentimental fiction. And that seems to sum up exactly what you hear a lot of times about chiclet. And to be perfectly honest, things that I myself have thought about chiclet. Right. But I mean, when you think about that quote in context of the books they might have been talking about, now those are the books that we study in literature courses at school. They're considered the classics. Jane Eyre. No one's going to say, oh, Jane Eyre. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Why don't you just pick up a Cosmo? But, and it's also, you know, I think that shows that in every culture, women are going to write books uh, with female protagonists that reflect their reality. And that's sort of why I was intrigued by a New York Times piece that talked about chiclet across the world mm-hmm. and how, um, like in Poland, what, you know, we would consider chiclet is often pretty dark and it has kidnappings, suicides, rapes and murders. I mean, it's not, you know, all martinis and Manolos. Rushing around Manhattan. Yeah, and in Scandinavian chiclet, uh, this New York Times piece says there's a lot of existential angst um, in communist Eastern Europe where it's very rare for, or when it was, you know, they're coming out of a, a regime where it was very rare for young and unmarried women to live alone. Just the fact that they have books that have female protagonists mm-hmm. that live alone is sort of a, a real reflection of their culture mm-hmm. and how, you know, it really does serve kind of this uh, universal, I don't know, theme of wanting to 
put your experience in writing. Yeah. And, uh, and going to your point, uh, I ran across some articles as well talking about the rise of chiclet in India and China, and it's really just popping up kind of all around the world. So even though we might try to dismiss chiclet out of kind of intellectual snobbery, um, there might be a little more to it than that. And if I can go back to, Rebecca Tracer's article for a minute because I don't really know how to better sum up um, this point she made. So I'm just going to read it verbatim. Uh, and this is from Salon.com. And she says, for the first time in Western history, a population of privileged urban adult women is single by choice. They live alone. They can have sex with whomever they want. Uh, they have incomes with which to buy overpriced footwear and stupid cocktails. Sometimes the Cosmo is just a Cosmo. In Chiclet, it may be shorthand for an independence and selfishness that is a revolution of its own. Chiclet chronicles exactly what the sentimentalist gothics and pious sentimentalist could not. The young female experience of professional, sexual, and economic power. And I thought that was a pretty interesting perspective that I had never really thought about when, you know, just looking at Bridget Jones's diary and, you know, snubbing my nose and walking on to, you know, I, I don't know, whatever faux highbrow fiction I was going to pick up. <laughs> but the fact that it is sort of something, you know, we take for granted the right that we have, the, the ability to live that lifestyle. And the fact of the matter is, Molly, men probably aren't going to be reading Chicklet because they might just not relate as much to a female single protagonist who is, you know, trying to date a wealthy businessman. It just yeah. might not appeal to them. But one thing that has emerged um, that has been puzzling public book publishers now for a while is this overall fiction gap, mm-hmm. as it's called, um, with men and women. Um, according to a story that we saw on NPR, uh, women make up 80% of the fiction market. And that's not just chiclet. I mean, that's fiction in general. Yeah, the the, art, the story has a good quote that is basically, if we're saying chiclet is the stuff that women read, then things like Hemingway are chiclet. Mm-hmm. All these books that are thought as stereotypically male uh, books, women read them. Women will read pretty much all fiction you throw at them. Right, and I thought it was interesting that uh, women um, are reading even more like gritty crime fiction and thrillers. Um, thing that comes to mind right now is uh, you know Dan Brown series with Angels and Demons, mm-hmm. um, and women are are gobbling those up even faster than men. Even though we might think of you know gritty crime detective novels as being more male centric. Mm-hmm. But what's interesting is that of that twenty percent, you know, fiction market that represents males. They're probably only going to read books by other males. There's mm-hmm. also in this fiction gap, it addresses the fact that males don't really seem to be ready to read a book written by a woman, which sounds silly when you say it out loud, but a lot of surveys seem to hold it out that if a guy's going to read a book, it's written by a guy like Hemingway or uh, Kurt Vonnegut or who else? Beat poets like these sort of uh, stereotypical, you know, men's men. Mm-hmm. And, but I, I will say that that might be a little bit of a reductionist perspective on things. I don't know that many men are just, you know, going to see an interesting book. And as soon as they see that it's written by a female author, they're just going to toss it out. I would, I'm just going to throw this out there, Molly. I'll, but I'll see what you think. I think it might have to do with something in our brains that are called mirror neurons. Mm. Okay. And this was also mentioned in this NPR story. There's a lot of research that has been done on mirror neurons and they're pretty fascinating cells in our brains because scientists think that they are the key to human empathy. Mm-hmm. 
us being able to relate to other people. They fire, um, especially when, you know, we see other people initiating actions. Like if you, if I'm really thirsty and I see you drinking a glass of water, my mirror neurons are going to start firing off because I want that glass of water so bad. I'm mm-hmm. relating to your experience of, of drinking a glass of water. So the thought is that, as you were saying earlier, a woman would have an easier time reading, you know, the stereotypical chiclet, for example, because she's reading about a female protagonist, someone she can identify with, get in the head of. And that's probably why they, why women are fairly good at reading all fiction is because they can just, you know, empathize better with, uh, any sort of character. The thinking is that women have these stronger mirror neurons than men. Right. And a lot of our experience of empathy in the mirror neurons goes, uh, back to that whole idea, like you said, of relating to people. Um, I was reading, looking through a book, um, on this called, uh, mirroring people and it was describing a study they performed using fMRI scans of male ballet dancers' brains and female ballet dancers' brains. And they found that when men were watching a video of male um, ballet dancers performing, their mirror neurons fired at a much more rapid rate than the females. And then vice versa, when females were watching female dancers on screen, their mirror neurons were firing more rapidly than the male dancers. And it's probably because they could sim- simply relate to the specific movements more closely when it was, you know, someone of the same sex dancing. And a good example of how this relates to fiction is that more males than females, surprisingly, have read the Harry Potter books. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's especially a series that's gotten a lot of young boys hooked on it because they had, you know, this very uh, central male character to latch onto. And if, you know, the mirror neuron theory holds up, then those boys would have had a lot more to relate to in that book than something like... Um, I don't know. Babysitter's Club. <laughs> Which is such a great... It's a good series. Such a good series. Deserves a shaped podcast my, of its own. Shaped my adolescence. In addition to this mirror neuron theory that we're talking about, there's also an idea out there that girls just have longer attention spans mm-hmm. for sitting down and reading a book. Um, going back to this NPR article, um, uh, Luann Brzezinadine, the author of The Female Brain, um, attributes this quote-unquote fiction gap to that um, attention span that girls have at a younger age, even. Mm -hmm. And other general brain differences, you know, Krista and I have discussed the difference between male and female brains before. And even though things, you know, sound kind of reductionist when you simplify them like this, but the fact that women have better language centers, for example, may just feed into why they read more. You know, you see these statistics about women talking more and just having this sort of, you know, natural affinity for language might play a part in why they read more. But again, sort of a sticky subject to just say women talk more and therefore they read more because we did do a lot of research and found out what men are reading when they do sit down to read. Right. The fact of the matter isn't that men simply aren't reading. They just don't read as much fiction, mm-hmm. but they are definitely beating women in the nonfiction categories. Um, in surveys that have been done by book publishers and other groups, they continually find that men want to get usable knowledge out of what they're reading. And let's, you know, frankly, they probably won't get that much usable knowledge out of reading Jane Eyre as they would reading something like uh, one of Jessica's picks, the Lexus and the Olive Tree. Mm -hmm. Research is showing that a lot of men do their their reading through periodicals, Mm -hmm. you know, something you sit down, then you throw away as opposed to something you put on the shelf. And I think that when we ask people to send us their reading list, you know, we ask for books. And so there's sort of, I think, this almost inherent bias in the language that it's not that men read less, they just read differently. Right. Um, and talking about what kind of books men are reading, uh, there was a Harris poll 
that was conducted in 2008. And the number one genre that men read, and this probably is not going to come to a surprise, come as a surprise to anyone, but history was the number one genre that mm-hmm. men have read. And that was above mystery, thriller, and crime fiction, and um, above science fiction. And um, just to give you an idea of the, the difference between men and women and nonfiction, uh, 44% of the men polled had read history in the past year, whereas only 27% of women had read history in the past year. So men might be closing the fiction gap in just a different kind of way. But I do want to point out, you know, of the of the reading list we received from our listeners, uh, nonfiction was very well represented. Uh, we had about 137 books on these lists. 93 were fiction, 44 were nonfiction. And uh, the most popular nonfiction books that our readers, our listeners were reading, uh, Memoirs and History. Mm-hmm. So the, the stereotype is that women will read everything, men will read some history. Yeah, is it really important to just think about that? I mean, so much of this marketing uh, goes down to, oh, you're female, you might like this pink book. Mm-hmm. And, oh, you're male, you might like this book with a dead president on it. Uh, is that useful, do you think, Kristen? I mean, I think that it's useful to publishers, and I think that it's made for an interesting discussion. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, I, to me, as long as people are reading in general, then that's a good thing. Yeah. You know, I, I like I, I honestly wouldn't want to just read only fiction and never read any any newspapers and have no idea what's going on in the world. So you need a balance. Yeah. Which I think is why, you know, it's it's kind of sad that we see so many articles about how men don't read or men don't read fiction. Mm-hmm. It's almost like we need to expand the defi- definition of reading. So it includes these things that appeal to men more like newspapers. Uh, I was reading about how to get young boys to read more. And basically just telling young boys that like comic books and graphic novels, things yeah. that they gravitate to, they count as reading. You know, we don't have to just push Jane Eyre into their 10 year old hands and wonder why they don't like reading, mm-hmm. which is pro- which probably helps explain the, the success of Pride and Prejudice and Zombies. Yeah, because that's where the, you know, men's and women's genres can intersect. Mm-hmm. And it's probably just kind of funny. Yeah, I want to read that one. Everybody likes a laugh. And zombies. Yeah, so what have we learned, Molly? We've learned that chiclet can, as... It can be laughed at no more. <laughs> well, chiclet, as interpreted as what chicks, quote-unquote, are reading, mm-hmm. is pretty much anything. Yeah. And that men don't be, need to be dismissed as non-readers. They're simply reading different things. That is true. And you know what? That's fine. That is fine. I think that's just fine. All your reading at HowStuffWorks counts as reading. So go to HowStuffWorks.com and read things. Like our blog. We've got a blog called How To Stuff, written for both males and females. Yeah, and I um, just wrote a blog post on how how to buy a book for dad that kind of recaps all of this, uh, all these stats that Molly and I were, were tossing out. If you want to go check that out, How To Stuff. And personally, I wouldn't mind getting more reading lists because they were fun to look at. They were fun to look at. And thanks to everyone who sent us a reading list. But if you have a reading list or just a question or a comment, you can email Kristen and me at momstuff at howstuffworks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. Want more How Stuff Works? Check out our blogs on the howstuffworks.com homepage. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you?